0: Listener Production. I'm Dr Sophie Calabretto and this is The Science Briefing, a podcast about the science of everything. Australia needs more blood. Australia's blood stocks are expected to drop to their lowest points since the beginning of the pandemic after donations took a nosedive. Lifeblood, the branch of the Australian Red Cross that handles donations, continues to call for more donors. The Red Cross is making an urgent appeal for blood donations. Earlier this year, a ban that's been around for two decades was scrapped. It prevented a very specific group from donating blood, a group exposed to an incurable disease. Today, the disease that changed blood donations in Australia and around the world. Okay, Jacinta, back in July, the Therapeutic Goods Administration approved a request from Lifeblood. This was to lift a ban on who can donate blood in Australia. What can you tell us about this ban?
1: Yeah, so in late July, a ban that's been in place for 22 years was lifted.
0: Jacinta Bowler is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine.
1: And the lifting of this ban means that an additional 750,000 Australians will be able to donate blood. This lifting came after a report from Lifeblood on whether the ban was actually still necessary. A little more about this particular ban. It was introduced back in December 2000, and it prevented anyone who lived in the UK from 1980 to 1996 from donating blood here in Australia. Australia wasn't the only country that had this specific ban, though. Places like France, Spain, Germany, the US and Canada restricted these same people who lived in the UK during that time from donating blood in those countries. Now the reason this ban was introduced was because in the years leading up to 2000 the world was freaking out about a disease, something called variant Creutzfeldt-Jakob disease or VCJD.
0: So that's a mouthful there.
1: Yeah and VCJD is a disease you've probably heard of. It's informally called mad cow disease. So these blood donation bans, they were brought in as a way to prevent any sort of spread of this disease between humans. So they weren't transfusing potentially infected blood between people.
0: Okay, so I was only 13 in the year 2000, but I do remember the global panic about mad cow disease. What is it and where did it come from?
1: So mad cow disease is also the common name for bovine spongiform encephalopathy, or BSE. And this is the disease that presents in cattle or cows. BSE translates literally as cow spongy brain disease because the infected cow brains start to look like sponges. That's gross. The first case of BSE was recorded back in 1984. And it all started because cows, mainly in the UK, were fed contaminated meat and bone meal. After eating this meat and meal, the cows started getting sick. This is where the mad in mad cow comes from, the symptoms. So a cow with BSE may have trouble walking or getting up, but they can also act nervously or violently towards people and each other. After that first case in 1984, over the next decade, more and more cows started developing the condition. So they stopped feeding them this contaminated meat, and ultimately we slaughtered huge numbers of cattle to try and control the spread. In the UK alone, around 4.4 million cattle were slaughtered. Wow. So this kind of goes to show the panic around mad cow disease. And you should keep this in mind, that this was before we found out that the disease could in some form be spread to humans.
0: Right. So this initial panic was about the disease in cows. How did we discover it could transmit to humans?
1: Yeah, so in 1995, a 19-year-old boy in the UK died after living with an unusual illness for six months. Over those six months, he developed depression, lost his coordination and memory, and ultimately died in a care home. They later discovered the cause of death was eating beef infected with BSE, so cattle meat, which had mad cow. This had developed into VCJD, the type of mad cow that is present in humans. And after this, the number of cases of VCJD in humans grew. More people had eaten the infected meat, which was the main cause of VCJD in humans. Then a string of unusual and similar deaths in young people followed. By October 2000, 80 people in the UK had died from VCJD. So most VCJD cases were in the UK, but in the years after, we saw a little bit of spread into other countries. And yeah, the panic around this was huge. There were massive PSAs, ad campaigns. And on top of that, VCJD is incurable and it remains incurable today. And another thing to add to that was that it's actually really difficult to detect a VCJD infection in the first place.
0: Okay, so there's no cure and no solid way to detect it. Ultimately, how do we even diagnose it? There's only one way we can really confirm if someone has VCJD, and
1: that's when they're dead. A proper diagnosis requires a biopsy or post-mortem analysis of the brain. Over the years, scientists have tried to improve detection methods, but have only got so far as to figure out why VCJD could be so hard to detect. The first reason is because of the incubation period of the disease. It often won't present symptoms, in some cases for decades. The other reason we can't detect VCJD is a bit more scientific,
0: and it has to do with proteins that cause the disease. These are called prions. Okay, so what do we need to know about these prions? So
1: prions are a type of protein that when they enter your body, they can cause your own body's proteins to change shape or misfold, which is the more accurate scientific term. Now, when your body's proteins change shape, this makes it really hard to detect VCJD in the body because your proteins are now in a different form and not doing what they would normally do. So when you look for VCJD in, say, a blood sample, you won't find it. The fact that we can't test for the disease when people are alive paints a pretty stark picture for people exposed to VCJD. But there is a silver lining here. What is
0: the silver lining then?
1: A lot of people were worried that VCJD cases were going to blow up and it would become this massive global situation. There were concerns about a second wave, but that never really happened. The number of people infected with VCJD was at its highest in 2000. And the number of people who died from the disease is actually quite low. As of 2019, 232 people worldwide are known to have become sick with VCJD and died. And the reports of cases in the last five to 10 years, especially, are very, very low. The last case in the UK where this really took off was back in 2016 and it was detected after the patient died. It's also worth pointing out that there's never been a case of VCJD diagnosed here in Australia. And that's the case for many countries around the world.
0: Okay, Jacinta, so VCJD or mad cow in humans isn't really a threat in 2022. So that brings us back to these blood donation bans. And I guess, sort of considering the incredibly low infection rates and no deaths in the last few years at least, these bans are looking pretty outdated now?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's not to say that there weren't legitimate concerns at the time when it came to VCJD and blood donations. In 2004 in the UK, three people died after probably contracting VCJD from transfusions before these bans came in. But yeah, it's 2022. VCJD isn't a community threat. And now we have research that shows the risk that transmission through a blood transfusion is incredibly low. A team of researchers from Lifeblood and the Kirby Institute published a paper which modelled these transmission risks. So the paper found that it was a 1 in 389 million chance that somebody would transmit mad cow prions through a blood transfusion. Not only that, they also modelled how likely someone would actually get and show symptoms of VCJD from a blood donation, and that was even lower, only 1 in 1.5 billion.
0: Right, okay.
1: The researchers have shown that there is absolutely no risk to the regular people that are getting the blood that this could be passed on and we need more blood donations.
0: Yeah, I imagine that's what Lifeblood recognised, right? So here was an opportunity to get more people to donate blood once this bound was scrapped.
1: That's right. And it's been a rocky few months for Lifeblood when it comes to donations. We've had a really nasty flu season across most parts of Australia, and obviously there's the ongoing COVID situation. This saw the number of blood donations drop Quite drastically, lots of people were cancelling the donation appointments, either because they were sick or didn't want to get sick. Also, the flood events in Queensland and New South Wales earlier this year caused a drop in blood supply, mostly due to roads being closed. So people couldn't get in to donate. Staff couldn't get to work to collect the blood. And the effects of all of these events are still being felt. Lifeblood needs more than 29,000 donations every week to meet demand. So the lifting of this ban comes at a really important time. And the more people that are allowed to donate blood, the better.
0: Jacinta Bowler is a science journalist for Cosmos magazine. You can read more of Jacinta's reporting at cosmosmagazine.com, including the article this episode was based on. That article is called Australia lifts the UK mad cow blood ban. What's the science? The science briefing is produced by Listener and the Royal Institution of Australia. Additional audio from ABC News. This episode was produced by Jake Morecam. Mixing by Dave Stein. Our executive producer is Melanie Withnall. I'm Dr. Sophie Calabretto. Catch you next time.